0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. <laughs> so nice to see you here. I'm so glad that you just clicked in to another episode of Still Positive. I am so looking forward to a couple of really fun, anxious days while I wait for scan results. So send the distractions my way. If you have any sort of cat videos, or any sort of videos that will distract me from reeling in my head, I would love to see them. So please send them over my way. I will greatly appreciate it. So let's jump right in. Uh, Today I'm talking to Lori as she shares a part of her life living with Elder's Danlos Syndrome, which is a group of genetic disorders that affects people in different ways, but it is caused by faulty collagen, which is the glue that holds the body together. And can result in weakened tissue or joints, but it affects people in different ways. I came across Lori's profile on Instagram and I knew I wanted to talk to her immediately. I came for the sick-ass lingerie posts and I stayed for her blog and her posts on making Instagram more accessible, sexuality and disability, and awareness on EDS in general. She is such a joy to have on the show and I'm so excited for you to hear Lori's experience with EDS. Enjoy. Let's be real, people love to gloss over chronic conditions or disabilities with a fleeting comment like, just be positive, or a fleeting insult like, kale will cure you. This is a podcast for when you face a different reality, knowing that positivity isn't a magic wand that's going to cure everything, but a flashlight in the dark that we may or may not have batteries to. Living with a chronic illness or disability makes you feel different, and your difference could be noticeable to others or not, but either can sometimes make you feel invisible. I'm here to tell you that your experience is valid and shared by others in the dark. Positivity is not a missing puzzle piece that's going to solve your life's puzzle, but it can be a beautiful tool that can help you grow, and sharing those experiences can make us grow together. So yeah, Laurie, thanks so much for wanting to do this with me. I'm really appreciative that you wanted to jump on the call.
1: I mean, thank you for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, I'd love to just start talking about what sort of relationship you have with chronic illness.
1: It's very complicated, but I think over the years, it's certainly evolved more from denial and trying to fight through and, you know, get better. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's more so coming to terms with the fact that this is going to be how it is for the rest of my life. And it Mm -hmm. obviously will change and it will get better at times. It will get worse, you know, but it's still complicated. I think we live in a world which is built for able-bodied people. And of course, there are other barriers as well. And I'm very privileged in the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm white. And I don't have that to face on top of everything else. But it's still it does, you know, affect you negatively trying to fight to get the accommodation and support that everybody else does so that it levels out the playing field. So it seems like we fight twice as hard to get half as far. So it's very exhausting. So I wouldn't say so much anymore, it's a a battle with myself it's more a battle with society and mm-hmm. the yeah in this in the system to try and get the right accommodation and have our voices heard and I know that that's something that a lot of people are also you know having to struggle with which sucks in its own way right. <laughs> but at least then there's that element of support and I think having found the chronic illness community of people who get it. It's a space to be able to share that and I think it doesn't feel so alone anymore. So I think my relationship with chronic illness is is bittersweet in that I found my best friends through it. I found my partner through it. I've, you know, had great opportunities through it but it's still something that causes a lot of pain but i can't quite remember a time where i wasn't ill mm-hmm. so it seems like i've come to a point where it's just accepting it now and that's not giving up because i know a lot of people would think oh well, you just go to keep going and like try this and try that and i'm like well it's not it's not how it works
0: you right know? And finding that relationship within yourself, I feel like, is so hard to do sometimes because the mentality of society is like, you are sick, you get better, and then you continue on with your life. And then when that doesn't happen, it's like, what's wrong? Didn't you try eating kale? Or like, <laughs> didn't you try this? You're still
1: ill, and it's like, yeah, that's the chronic part,
0: <laughs> right? Even accepting that, like for yourself, like you said in the beginning, like. That was such a hard transition to come from a space of something's happening to me and then realizing, okay, this is just a new me. <laughs> this is just a new yeah. side of me that I have to like accept and like love for myself.
1: Exactly. And I think I think I saw a statistic yesterday, which twenty I think it's 20% of the world's population is disabled. And obviously that differs because of the... Provisions of care and preventative measures that are in place and things like that, but it seems that because of the lack of representation, there it doesn't feel as if there is that massive amount of people who are dealing with that. And when it's when it's in fact, it's like a fifth of all of us, which is very similar to you know the mental health statistic of one in four, and obviously there's a big relation between that which I know we've talked about before. Right. There is that feeling, especially within society, looking at people who are disabled, it's very much inspiration porn of, oh, you're so strong, you're getting through this, all of that. And we feel like we have to be. And we feel like we have to be this strong, disabled warrior all the time. And that in itself is incredibly tiring. And it's okay to to feel sad about your disability—it's a—it's a right to me,
0: or just like feeling lazy for being in bed all day because you couldn't, yeah. and feeling like guilty about it. Like I'm not trying, but really, you're you're trying so hard to just listen to yourself and understand this is what I need right now.
1: Because it's such a productivity-driven world, is you know the perfect sort of lifestyle for a lot of people that people will idolize is constantly doing stuff which is so unhealthy anyway for the average person. But especially for people who are disabled, we feel like we have to make up for it. And it's not our fault for thinking that, but it's the way society makes us feel through ableism. So it's, you do feel like you have to be sort of better in school for it. I know I did. Better in, in college to get the best grades. and You think, well, at least I've got that going for me. Like you think that in your head. But it's rough because we associate rest with laziness which it's not and I know that it's I think to be honest I think a lot of it is it's very rarely laziness when it comes to things like getting started and getting the motivation to keep going because it's either it's something mentally going on or it's like a physical if you feel like I cannot get out of bed.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: I think yeah and Accommodating our health and accommodating our needs, especially I think during a time like COVID, people are starting to wake up to that now. And I think self care is going back to the basics of, of fundamentally what it is, which is listening to your body and what it needs and honoring it. So, silver lining, I it's right. a very small silver lining, <laughs> right?
0: A hair is still yeah. yeah,
1: a thread just yeah. hanging on the corner. And think, yeah, that's something to focus on. Yeah. But I think it's given us a lot of us a time to actually sort of understand what we need and understand who we are because we have spent so much time alone. So we spent so much time with ourselves. I know I I'm like that anyway. I mean I'm an introspective person naturally, right? But I've seen a lot of people around me, especially my friends, who are starting to, to communicate with themselves and understand themselves, and think I need rest today. It's okay if I'm. I mean, I know it's cliche, but it's it's okay not to be okay, and it's it's okay to have days where you just feel like crap and you eat your comfort food and you watch Netflix and that's all you do. That's fine. Yeah, if that's what your body's telling you.
0: Absolutely, and I think that letting people understand that that's. Totally acceptable, and you should be doing those things for mental health reasons and for physical health reasons. It's not that you can't do the things that you want to do eventually. You just have to accept in what capacity your body is willing to do that. In like this time, is it something that you can do later, or is it something that you have to reconfigure into something that's better for you? You know, and. There's nothing wrong with either, and I think that a lot of people are catching on to that because of COVID, definitely. You know, it's it's something that I think that a lot of people in the chronic Ill- illness and disabled community have to do when they first understand that something is different, and I think that illness in general and time alone and in unfortunate isolation from other people can definitely do that.
1: Definitely. I think, obviously, it's incredibly unfortunate that it has to be under these circumstances that people have come to understand that. And it's not necessarily their fault if they hadn't clicked onto that before. If if they haven't been introduced to it or come across it, it's, it but it is definitely systematic in that the lack of representation and the lack of actual resources put into closing the... The gap in, you know, financial inequality and access to medical care, of course, impairs your ability to work. It impairs your ability to actually get out there and have that independence. So you do spend a lot of time inside because accessing those spaces. And for one, do you have the money to? No. (laughs) It's like you have the energy to? No. You're in too much pain to because you can't access the medical
2: Mm -hmm. resources
1: you need to and it's it's tough and I'm again lucky that I have the NHS and it has its flaws for chronic illness and, and understanding it but overall it's absolutely phenomenal
0: and can you talk about a little bit like what it's like for you going to the doctor like what's the process like for you like how does that work
1: okay um So I'll make an appointment at my at my GP, so my general practitioner, and their primary care. So they're the people who will then refer you to secondary care if necessary. Um, so if I take a service that they obviously can't provide. So then my consultants, who are like rheumatologists, gastroenterologists, neurologists, all of those great people, they will then see me for free. Um, and there's no like signing of anything, there's there's nothing like that. You just go, you see them, you sit down, you talk to them and then they they will get in touch with you if you need another appointment. Or if you then if they can refer you to a service like physiotherapy because it's like musculoskeletal stuff. So like my rheumatologist can refer me to physio or my um clinician for my POTS who works in it's not cardiology but it, it's linked within that will can refer me to a different trust so we have nhs trusts for different districts so like different counties and mm. they will have their own different policy funding and things like that but they will essentially try and keep you within the same trust just for legality and this is easier but in terms of actually you know referrals and and seeing people the, the average waiting time i would say from pre-covid because i haven't really had many appointments in this time because they're not in person so it's difficult to say they typically do reviews for me every either every year every six months but if i do get a like a new appointment it's a couple of months normally of waiting so there is that backlog because it's access to services and funding and we pay our national insurance and that's if you earn enough Mm. you know and it's Mm -hmm. it's it's based off your salary to a degree there is a cap at certain earnings but it's a different Mm. conversation but yeah it's it's wonderful in that in that respect
0: when you go to the doctor do you go like right in do you have to wait in the waiting room for a while?
1: Yeah, it's it's still that vibe. I know that now, obviously, with COVID, I think people, they do telephone appointments as much as possible, or video chats. But I think if you do go in, it's like everything's socially distanced. You have to wear a mask unless you're exempt. And you're asked to please use hand sanitizer before coming in. There is that barrier, again, of actually getting to treatment when you're vulnerable. And I know there is that debate around just because you're disabled doesn't mean you're vulnerable. I just, when I'm using the vulnerable term, I mean, you know, immunocompromised and susceptible, more susceptible to COVID is what I mean.
2: Right.
1: You have to weigh up the, is it more of a risk to me going to this appointment? So there has been that pushback, you know, for me of my lack of access to care has affected my health. But that has been a choice that I've had to make because if i get covid right yeah and i already have chronic fatigue if i have long covid so. right <laughs> yeah.
0: and people like i think that underestimate like the amount of precaution that chronically ill people specifically like i'm talking about like i take a lot of precaution and yeah. you know sometimes i'm like is this too much but then on the other hand I'm like I know what it's like to be in these situations where like I'm stuck in the hospital for months on end and like I'm facing death and I'm like I'm not trying to do that optionally like if it can be avoided yes (laughs)
1: yes I I do have that like short-term loss for long-term gain in this situation and I do I have lost My abilities, like my upper body strength, is not what it was, but I Mm -hmm. can't go out in my local area because it's not accessible. If I was, you can't travel at the moment with lo because we're in lockdown. I can't go into a more accessible space purely for exercise. You can't, you can't do that. If you're driving somewhere, especially if you're driving into a different area, you can't do that unless you're doing that for food, like. Mm -hmm. So there has yeah. been that barrier, especially for disabled people because of the lack of council funding which has been going on for years and years and years to get like better pavements and fundamental things like that so that a community is accessible. I mean, nobody thought that this was going to be what it is. right? So there isn't that blame there. But there is that. It doesn't seem important because it's like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's more important things to worry about is how they view it. Right. But without that, you're I think both consciously and subconsciously having it so that people are locked in their home, they can't get out, Mm -hmm. and they say, "Oh well, it's." I think there's that view of there's not that many. It won't affect that many people, but it's very much putting a price on the freedom and independence of disabled people. But also, there is that it's a year of of shielding being primarily in the house for a year in an accessible area so I can't go out for like a a walk in my wheelchair you know which I think people typically like take for granted but at the same time it's it's affecting a lot of people I know because of the lack of social interaction is now just starting to get to us like it's been a year right
0: like oh, I did all my like, so- hard now. yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Especially because it's like starting to get nice out again. You're like, all right, I did the whole thing. Like it's time to come back out. <laughs> like I would love to socialize in real life.
1: Yeah, There's only so <laughs> many <laughs> like Netflix parties that you can watch before you just say, you
0: know what? <laughs> right, right. I've had enough. <laughs> so is pots just the blood circulation not getting to your brain? So then it. It makes you dizzy and then you pass out, or am I totally wrong?
1: <laughs> no, that's part of it. It it's the it's dysautonomia, it's the autonomic nervous system and its ability to regulate heart rate and blood pressure. Okay. So my blood pressure is low, my heart rate's high. If my blood pressure is well, if my heart rate is to an okay level because of medication, my blood pressure is way too low. So that also causes dizziness lightheadedness nausea um muscle weakness but because of Mm. that lack of balance between blood pressure and heart rate the lack of circulation so circulatory system is affected so then your muscles are affected so it causes pain Mm. um and affects your your gastrointestinal system as you've just witnessed um but yeah it's 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 difficult because it's also other symptoms like excessive sweating, which is gross. Um,
0: I, got, I feel you. <laughs> like, I, got, I know what yeah. that's about. You're like, what is happening? Here? So
1: dehydration, try and get keep on top of your fluid. It's a full-time job. It really mm-hmm. is. Chronic illness is a full-time job totally. that you actually have to pay. <laughs> you have to pay for.
0: Yep. It's confusing to to like, I I don't know how you got into the doctor's office or what were the symptoms that led you to that space because it is so confusing. Separately, they seem like minor and you're like, okay, I'm sweating a lot, but like whatever. Or like for me, I was like, I'm itchy, but like, who cares? You know, like whatever. And then like, what was it that got you the place? Like, I need to check this out.
1: Yeah. I think- if we go back to the beginning I think as a kid I was injury prone. So I wasn't. It was just I was I was being a kid and my body was having none of it. So I was you know, I'd fall over and I'd really hurt my ankle and it would be there for a long it would be there for a long time and it wasn't healing. But it was mm-hmm. like, oh you've well, just fallen over or oh you I mean my poor parents feel terrible for this, and it's, it's certainly not their fault because I get it. But it was like, oh, there's always something wrong, like drama queen type of thing, totally. which they didn't push for long. It was not something that that they felt for long because they realised this is this isn't her. This is happening far too much. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I, one thing that sticks out in my mind is, as a kid, I was I was bullied pretty badly. And someone back backheeled me in the knee, and it dislocated my knee. Wow. So, yeah. And I have had times before where I've just been, as a as a young kid, probably around 11, 12, I would be walking up, my knee would go. Wow. Which isn't normal. Right. And I'd be running, and my Achilles tendon felt like it snapped, which it hadn't. But, like, I pulled, I'd, like, pulled something in the back of my heel, which is again isn't normal. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be horse riding and I when if I was bending over to like brush my horse's legs, my back would hurt so much and it felt like it was it was like really painful. Like it was really painful and it shouldn't have been. And at that point that again would have been things like muscles and tendons and we suspect at that point is when it might have started with Cartilage in my spine, starting to have an starting to work towards scoliosis because a few years later I had an in, uneven waist, which I thought was just because I carried my bag funny. Um, no joke. Uh, if anyone out there has an uneven waist, get it checked out, please, because that's not just because you're carrying your bag funny, that's your yeah. spine. Um, and going to the physiotherapist and them telling you to stand up straight, I thought I stood up straight. And they were like, no. And they tried to put me where I physically couldn't stand how they were trying to put me. And my hips felt like they were popping out. And I was like, what is that? That feels really weird. Walking around Costco, Mom, like, Mom, feel my hips. It must have looked weird. Just like walking behind me with her hands like cupped around my pelvis, just like, is it popping out? <laughs> Yeah, that's not normal either. But then going to the doctors with all these things, they're writing it down, and because it doesn't click with them, I think there is that. Wow, well, there's a lot wrong with her. You know, it's like, yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Right,
0: right, exactly.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's. I think it's a lot more common than we give it credit for. Happens to mm-hmm. a lot more people, but it's not normal in that it's not healthy. Mm-hmm so there's something underlying and when I was 13 I had hideous back pain I was at school and my back hurt so much I was in tears and even at that point that was to be crying at school wouldn't have been caught dead crying at school (laughs) so I, I just had enough and I lost it and my back was hurting so much that I when I went back home walked over to my grandparents' house, it was, we need to ring the doctors. And that was the first time that we had thought, this is bad. And that was the journey that we took from that point forward with my back pain, with my knees and things like that. And there was so much medical gaslighting around that mm-hmm. time of, oh, you're putting it on foot tension or, oh, it's just because you're having stre- like deep, dark purple stretch marks on my back, which is because of my EDS, because of my tissue and them well it's because you're a girl
2: oh my god did
1: you go to school did you go to school <laughs> right. <laughs> like,
2: right
1: and you know them not putting that together with the fact that I had an even waist with the fact that you know I was prone to bruising the fact I was prone to you know tearing scarring was like paper like t- titty paper and all of these things and scarring for things that shouldn't have been scarred the cat scratches and stuff that i still mm-hmm. have on my hand from when i was like 10
0: wow <laughs> wow yeah
1: you know it's it's things like that they they didn't, didn't even they think didn't twice about together mm-hmm. which i understand to a degree because they've got so much to, to try and remember like but it's when you press them on it that it's like oh we can't be wrong it's you it's you over exaggerating and if right. you oh, if you dare, try and Google what you're going through. It's like, oh, she's exaggerating. It's like, yes, because nobody else is. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I'm trying to find out what it is because it's crap.
0: Right. I don't
1: like it. I wouldn't like it to be here anymore, please. Which is right. why I'm trying to find out what it is. But, of course, it is still here, which you know i'm okay with that but at the time it wasn't at the time when i was like let's get this fixed so i can go back to being 13 please and not have to like argue with doctors mm-hmm. about getting access to treatment because i'm a woman and i'm hormonal and i'm exaggerating which no that's like yeah. oh you do you're putting it on one doctor actually said to my dad you sure she's not putting it on for attention for you i mean that in itself it's like what generation are you sorry?
0: <laughs> right right exactly it's so upsetting that this seems to be more of a common thread in, in talking to people and talking to women and just not having doctors believe you, but also having doctors not fully understand the things that you're going through. I think through specialists, obviously, they're more in tune with those things, but yeah. the, f- the initial diagnosis is so tough to get through. Even even something so blatant as cancer, like I had all of the classic I had sweat, I had I was so incredibly itchy. I had sores that wouldn't heal, that were just infected constantly and I was out of breath. and all of the doctor was like, mm, your airways sound fine. you're you're fine." And I was like, "I'm not fine. Like I'm not leaving your office until you give me something other than you're fine. Just do something, do run a test. Like he literally was like, mm, it sounds fine. You're okay." I was like, no, 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 no.
1: There is always a if you I'm sure it's if you hear like hoofbeats, don't expect it to be as ever expected to be a horse. It's very much the look for the common thing first, which is fine. You can take the statistically that makes sense because it affects more people. So you look at the things and then you work your way down. You don't just stop because you don't know what it is. Right. You know? Right. Um, then When you have to be an advocate, you use so much of your own energy that you should be using to rest and look after yourself to fight for the care that you need, because people who are supposed to be doing it for you aren't. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: yet, we're the issue because we're trying to find out what's wrong. Or we're the issue because we have the nerve to sit here and tell you that you don't know what's going on and to ask for somebody else's opinion
0: that's so frustrating but I'm glad that you were an advocate for yourself and able to come up to them and be like take another look
1: I think it's it's difficult because I know a lot of people out there, especially with things like EDS it comes on around puberty um Mm -hmm. and that's that means that you start to feel things predominantly you know like pain and and things like stretch marks and you know gastrointestinal stuff that i felt more around 14 15 mark than than i did when i was a kid Mm. you know but obviously it was still there so going through that as a as a teenager when you've got so much other stuff going on it's like i wasn't able to be a child i wasn't able to be a kid because my health impaired me in such a way from the age of 13 that's still a kid yeah you know like I still should have been going to like the shopping centers with or like the town with my friends for the first time on the bus independently and doing all that stuff but instead I was arguing with doctors yeah and it's that it, it, you do carry that with you like you do carry that with you because you you're trying to nurture that in a child a lot because you have to grow up so quick
2: Mm -hmm. And obviously,
1: there's other factors that play into that as well, especially if, like, with mental health and and you know, family dynamic and things like that. But I know it's only recently that it's really dawned on me that my inner child needs me now,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because it's been years and years and years of having to grow up so fast, and I always have people say to me, "You're so mature," because I'm twenty. You're so mature, you know like wise and all this stuff and it's like yeah because i didn't have a choice mm-hmm. so yeah. to, a, to a degree it's it's a silver lining because it, it's equipped me with this but it's still not a positive because it came from quite a difficult place which still needs my attention now
0: and so what else do you do for like self-love and self-care like what are your go-to's i think
1: i I talk to myself a lot, which I know people probably like. (laughs) But I have I have verbal conversations with myself, just talking out loud, so that I can hear myself say the words. So having the mental thought is one thing; hearing myself say it is another thing. It works for me, Um, and to just understand why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. I think I like to know. And if I don't have an answer, that's okay. I can I can sit with that. So I juggle between distraction and taking active time to to reflect on why I'm feeling how I'm I'm feeling, you know, identifying any any potential triggers for situations, how I can work through that to, you know, dispel that that trigger in a sense or accommodate it, depending on what it is. Um and affirming with myself, you know, that it's okay to feel the way i'm feeling and it's okay to have setbacks so really for me it's a lot of, of mental reflection um when it comes to self-love and stuff, really is as important as as like the other stuff is i think for me with my mental health and things like my i've i've had a, a lot of issues with eating like a few years ago and and body image and stuff like that that i think if i address it with myself and i i actually think about how i'm feeling it doesn't seem scary Mm
2: -hmm.
1: or it doesn't seem you know so impossible to actually to get through Mm -hmm. but i also do little things like scrapbooking and i love the guitar and you know my my pets and I do like to to video chat with my like my best friend and and my partner and, and do stuff like that as well right. um that is great but for me for me it's certainly the like like positive reinforcement and the affirmations I know for some people are probably thinking god that's boring but I've learned to love it I was yeah. I went I went to therapy for a long time and I learned to love it
0: <laughs> yeah there you go and I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that writing isn't for you because I love reading your blog I think that all of your posts are just so in depth it seems therapeutic but sometimes that is just an exercise in a different way do you find that yeah
1: it is it is definitely an exercise of self love but i think when it it does also take a lot of mental energy because i've got mm-hmm. brain fog so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of i have to actually be like i want to write today to actually to do it but i think an everyday exercise for me is, is definitely the speak to yourself with kindness side of things
2: you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's
1: like that type of of mental self care but writing and, and reading has always been very therapeutic, but I have to mentally be like ready for it. Otherwise I feel like it's disingenuous.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. Um, I love looking through your posts. I think that they're so great. And i love that you, oh, thank you. yeah, I do. I love that you have like, Educational posts and like talking about how to make Instagram more accessible, but then also have these badass lingerie, like I'm fucking so sick posts. I love that. It's so like empowering in the sense that it's like this is just like what I want to do.
1: Thank you. Actually, started last year, like at the beginning of last year, January is when I first started it, and it feels like I've always done it. It's it's strange. It's I think. I identify so much with how I am now and I feel like I understand myself so much now because of that that journey of, of like, self-expression, self-love. And it was scary. Like, doing the shoot was great because I was with a friend of mine, Emily, and, like, she had come up from Oxford and, like, we'd done this, this shoot, like, where I am in Newcastle and it was great. And, like, we stayed in this sort of, like, little apartment for a weekend and had a great time. And, again, she, I met her through Instagram. Um And when it came to posting the pictures, I was so nervous. Um, But the response was great. The response was so lovely and receptive. But we did it because we wanted to. And really... Deep down we did it because we've both struggled with self-confidence and we're both survivors of sexual abuse, and that is something that is difficult to to have that connection with your sexuality following that mm-hmm. is rough and to have that ownership over it. So we both wanted to do that because we understood that that was a part of us that we needed to to nurture and we needed to listen to. And, and we did it and it was absolutely incredible it was it was so bonding um but when it came to posting them I was really nervous because obviously I was in a vast day and <laughs> and stockings and those pictures aren't there anymore because Instagram deleted my first account but um yeah it was I've still got them and I've actually still got a picture. This is from the shoot that I printed out because it's in my wheelchair. And
0: it's gorgeous. Oh, I love it. It was
1: just, it was just great because I was in my wheelchair, which was something that I used to think was so like ugly and just like, like clumpy and what didn't feel like me. But then I sort of found ways to to own it and then learn to think, why I had that sort of deep-seated discontent towards it I suppose which of course is because of ableism but I've now seen my wheelchair and I'm like oh it's my body it's like my legs you know like it's 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 fine yeah it's great and it's helping yeah I don't I don't see it as as something that I feel embarrassed by anymore by any stretch sometimes I get a little bit sad that i need it because i want i want to be able to go on on walks in the woods with my mom and the dog i want to be able to to do that because i miss it and that's okay it doesn't you know make you a bad disabled person for feeling sad about needing mobility aids but i think it's certainly important to recognize why you feel a certain way about needing them um but yeah that that shoot was wonderful and I think my journey with with doing like laundry modeling and, and stuff like that has has been very liberating and it's certainly something that I feel empowered by and that was all I wanted it for it wasn't for anybody else and I I have just been through a breakup and and i thought you know what i feel crap so i'm gonna i'm gonna do something for me with my with my badass friend and we're gonna have a great time and if we post it we post it but we did and that was <laughs> that was one of the, the best choices that i think i've that i've made because it did allow me to really find myself and that passion and that power that i that i wanted to unleash I just didn't know how and I was scared to Mm so yeah I'm I'm really in love with that side of myself now which is a wonderful thing to say
0: no it's fantastic I love that and through throughout all your experience with chronic illness and EDS and POTS and all these things do you find that you can still be positive
1: yes I think I used to view positivity as you have to feel positive all the time which of course we know is, is in, impossible you know you can't always do that because you're human so I I certainly do always allow myself to view positivity as saying it's okay to not be okay or it's okay that I feel sad today it doesn't mean that it's permanent And reminding myself that these sad moments as, as valid as they are and as difficult as they are are fleeting in the grand scheme of things but to allow myself to feel sad about it mm-hmm. um because for a while I used, I used to think why are you feeling sad about it you know it's like it's not going to achieve anything is what I thought and I think that was very much based off of feeling burdensome for expressing the fact I was I was really sad about my illness and thinking that my illness was burdensome in itself, which I worked through. And I know it's not; it's only burdensome to me because I have to deal with it. But I, I remain—I think I remain positive by just feeling how I want to feel and just allowing those feelings in. Because if not, I feel like I'm not being true to myself, and that always finds its way back. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and the acceptance that comes with, you know, feeling bad or feeling depressed or feeling sad. It's like accepting that I've found to be really positive. And in the moment, it doesn't feel that way <laughs> at all. You're just like, I feel like crap. But it's also, I accept this. And like you said, it'll bite you later. If you don't. Yeah accept that and just embrace that it does find its way in somehow so you might as well just accept you know like feel this now and move through it as best you can exactly yeah and then i do just want to touch on the niwe what can you tell me a little bit more about that
1: so yes that is a northeast based it's lottery funded actually it's national lottery funded But it's a eating disorder charity in the Northeast, which gets no government funding at all. And they are a preventative organization with people who have early signs of eating disorders to get in there quick, rather than leaving it to obviously accumulate into a full-blown eating disorder. So it helps to save lives, helps, you know, to have that community outreach, but it also my counselors at college had connections to them so it does help you know reaching out to to younger people but it's an incredibly important charity because we think of eating disorder organizations for people who you know you have a picture in your head as to is to it's incredibly severe because there isn't much intervention at the beginning so They raise awareness of how eating disorders can present themselves, and they work in particular with women who have been in abusive situations as well. So it's an incredibly powerful organization, which I wish more people knew about. So, yeah, thank you very much for allowing me to to give them that. Yeah,
0: and I think that it's great too, because you're right, you don't see a lot of eating disorder organizations preventative before it gets to a point. Yeah.
1: I know they talk about it as disordered eating behaviour and, and relationships with food in that sense and they do work with a very wide age range too. It's not specific to a certain group, but it is very small. It's in the northeast of England. So if anyone wants to to donate anything, please do. Or at least just follow them on social media, you know, boost their posts in some way. But I know my experience there was was wonderful and they were incredible because they allowed me a space even when i couldn't i was 17 so i couldn't access children and adolescents mental health services in the uk and couldn't access adult mental health services so there is that there is a, a gap in age and outreach and they were there for me then so if i didn't have them then i wouldn't have thought of my eating disorder as necessary to bring into the adult mental health space after Mm -hmm. that so they helped me get to that point and realize that so i'm incredibly grateful for them for that
0: wow that's amazing thanks so much for sharing that with me and with everyone else i really appreciate that and thank you again for your time thank you Dana. what a freaking sweetheart i love her. I'm so happy that she wanted to be on the show and I'm so happy that she shared her experience with us. Thank you, Lori, for your insight into living with EDS and being real about your experience and bringing that awareness to the world. Be sure to donate and share about the NIWE. There will be a link in the show notes. And be sure to follow Lori and dive into her blog and just enjoy. If you liked listening to Still Positive, be sure to subscribe and be notified when a new episode comes out. And as always, thanks again for clicking in, folks. I really appreciate your time and I just love you guys. So stick around and stay safe.